Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is When the Bottom Drops Out. When the Bottom Drops Out. Um, when I was uh, when I was a kid, I was it, it probably in like like on the verge of like between sixth and seventh grade, that kind of like weird period of life. This is a picture of that time period, <clears throat> and uh, I, I remember I, I had this. It was like the first time that I really remember having a real serious crush uh, on a girl, and uh, obviously this guy was going to do great with the ladies. I mean, look at the style. That stripe-a-do ocean Pacific shirt and uh, those windshields that I was wearing and uh, the Chia Pet hair. I mean, it was very, I was dialed. But I had this girl that I had a crush on and we had some classes together and I just thought she was the greatest. I still remember her name, Elizabeth Parmenter. And uh, I was obsessed. And of course, you know, when you first start like crushing on somebody, and you're like, you're starting to wake up to like all these different things and that people actually have relationships and whatever. You don't want to tell anybody. Like you got to keep it a secret because you don't know what people are going to do with that information. And uh, I finally did tell someone I had this really good friend uh, from church and we also, he also went to the same school. He's like a year ahead of me and his name was Jeremy Beaver. And I told him, I was like, this guy, I, I, I admitted to him, I was like, I, listen, I've got a crush on this girl. And he's like, listen, I'm going to hook you up, man. I am, I'm going to be your wingman. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'm in, okay? He's like, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to, I'm going to like get, get to know her. I'm going to buddy up to her, okay? And then I'm going to put in a good word for you because you're like a little bit shy. And I was like, this sounds like a great plan. Let's do this. And he's like, and then at the right moment, I'm going to introduce you. I'll have talked you up. And then like, she's going to already, like by the time you guys start hanging out, she's going to be so in love with you, okay? And I was like, all what you're pitching me now sounds amazing. And so I'm like, green light this. This is, this is the plan. Let's do this. And so he started to work his magic, right? Right? And he started hanging out with her and he started like getting to know her and budding up to her. And three weeks later, they were dating. And I was like, what? Are you serious right now? I remember just being completely, I was like, this was not our plan. Did you not understand what the mission was? Okay. And he's like, it just sort of happened. And I'm like, I don't, that's not, uh, I was so frustrating. And I never saw it coming. I was completely blindsided by it. And, uh, and it changed our friendship, right? I mean, after that, I, we used to hang out all the time. And I was just like, I don't know if I could be around this guy. I mean, like, you know, I, I couldn't figure out, like, was this his plan all along? Did it really just happen? I mean, obviously, I assumed that it was malicious and he was the devil. Um, that was the only explanation that I could wrap my head around. And I remember being just so hurt by it and surprised by it. And it was never the same between us after that. Like, we would still do things, and, but it was just like there was this one thing that was kind of between us that could never really seem to, like, get over again. We could never seem to get back to the thing that we once had because there was always this little bit of suspicion sort of hanging in the air. And it's weird. It's weird, like now that I am in my 40s, that I still have vivid memories of this exchange, of this guy, of this moment, of this betrayal. 
And here's what I would guess about you. You probably have a story like this where someone close to you hurt you in a way and on a level that's never left you. It, 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 like whatever that thing was, it like me, it completely blindsided you. It sucker punched you in a way that you can still sort of feel that in the pit of your stomach when you think back on that moment. Maybe you don't remember all of the details, but you remember how it, how it felt. And I think if you're like me, you remember it partially because of what they did, but you really remember it because of who did it. Because they did that thing to you. And it felt so painfully personal. And it changed you. It changed the dynamic you had. It changed the way that you experienced relationships. It, it, it changed your, the way you trusted people. And, 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 it, and it sort of opened up a new category for you of like, what do, what do I do with this? And I think if we're going to talk about friendship in a, in a real way, in a deep way, we have to talk about this category. Like, because this is a part of what it, it makes it difficult for some of us to actually reach out and put ourselves out there is that we've had some bad experiences. We've had some occasions where someone hurt us. It felt like someone betrayed us or stabbed us in the back. And we've got some trust issues. We've got some things where we, we feel like we really can't move forward with certain people where we, we just, we don't, we don't know if, if it's worth it because of what has happened before. There's this, um, in the Old Testament, there's this guy, David, and we've been sort of referencing his, his story at various points in this, in this series. He's this huge figure in Jewish uh, history. And there were a handful of situations like this that happened uh, in his life. And some of them are just such big betrayals that it just seems like, I, how does anybody come back from something like that? And one of them in particular, he has this friend named Joab who they were very close. Joab ends up becoming essentially one of the highest ranking commanders in his army. And the two of them knew each other forever. I mean, you're talking decades of time. These, these guys have sort of grown up together. They're both warriors. They're both fighters. They'd fought side by side. They'd been through all this stuff together. They knew everything about each other. There's examples of uh, interactions and exchanges with them where you realize that what they have is special. It's close. It's intimate, right? Like they, they are really open and honest with each other. They're, they're, they're truthful about what's really going on with them, what they think and feel. They call each other out on stuff. They challenge each other to be the best version of themselves. And toward the end of, of David's life, um, there's this, this situation that unfolds where his son, Absalom, uh, who is sort of poised to be the next king, starts to get frustrated about the timeline of waiting for his dad to give him the kingdom. Normally, you know, the king dies and the prince takes over. Well, this prince wasn't necessarily guaranteed the throne because he had a few brothers, and he decides that he's going to take the throne from his father, that he's going to overthrow David. And everybody was aware of this. This wasn't a secret. It was very public. And people were like, David, handle your business. You know what I mean? Like, you got to deal with your kid. And yet David was really soft on Absalom. He, he didn't really stand up to him. He had a hard time disciplining him. And Joab and David fought about this all the time. 
They fought about it when he was younger. And now that he was older and now that it was causing problems outside of just a home or a small community, now that it was actually impacting the direction of the entire nation, it was an issue. And David still does nothing. And so eventually it comes to a head and Absalom, he declares war. He starts this massive civil war in Israel and he tries to overthrow his father. And there's this scene that takes place on the edge of a battlefield. It's right before they get ready to go into the first big battle, um, David's troops against Absalom's troops. And David gathers up his high-ranking commanders and he gives them a speech. And this is what he says. 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse five. It says, the, the king gave this command to Joab, Abishai, and, and the other guy with the I name. <clears throat> he says, for my sake, deal gently with Absalom, right? I know we're in a war, but that's my kid, okay? And so like, if you come across him, something happens, like, I mean, be gentle, bring him back. I feel like I can still talk some sense into him. And everybody's like, it hasn't worked so far. So we're not feeling encouraged. It goes on to say that all the troops heard the king give this order. And then they go into battle. And as a result of this battle, there was a great slaughter that day and 20,000 men laid down their lives. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men and he tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught and the mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. And one of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, what? Joab demanded, you saw him there and you didn't kill him? I, I would have rewarded you with 10 pieces of silver and a hero's belt, which I, I can only imagine has to be like uh, a WWE championship belt, right? That's what that is. I mean, I didn't do any historical research, but I, one can only assume, right? He promises him that he would have rewarded him. And the response of this guy is, I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied to Joab. We all heard what the king said to you. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said, and he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled still alive in the great tree, and he killed him. And then Joab blew the ram's horn, signaling the war was over, and his men returned. And they threw Absalom's body into a deep pit in the forest and piled a great heap of stones over it. And all Israel fled to their homes. And this guy with the, with the A name, who was one of Joab's warriors, said, let me run to the king with the good news that the Lord has rescued him from his enemies. And everybody's like, read the room, dude. No. Joab told him, it would not be good news to the king that his son is dead. You could be my messenger another time, but not today. There's so much heaviness in this story, especially because you, 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 if you know this, the, the history between these two guys, and especially at this point where we push pause, like David does not yet know that his son was murdered by one of his best friends. And Joab kills his son, 
because he, he thinks that it's the right thing. Like he believes that it's the thing that will save the country, that it's the wise move, that it's the smart thing. He believes that it's the thing that David needs to do and knows he needs to do, but doesn't have the guts to do. And so he thinks he's helping his friend, even though he knows it's gonna completely devastate him. And when I read this story, I just think of the impossibility of this situation and how complicated it is. And I just think like, how, how does a relationship bounce back from that? Is it even possible? And this story is so extreme. Like most of us, we can't wrap our head around that situation, but we, I think we can wrap our heart around this emotion. When, when someone close to you hurts you, it knocks the wind out of you. Like a sort of, 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 of sick anger washes over you and you, you feel lost and you just wonder like, what? You're, you're, you're in disbelief. Like you're, you, you sit in a little bit of denial when you first come face to face with the betrayal because you're just like, how could they do that to me? And the more you think about it, the more infuriated you become, the more wounded you become, the more the anger begins to mount. And other people may look at you and, and think that you're overreacting, but because it's like in their mind, you know, the thing that you're flipping out about seems like a little thing. But the reality is every betrayal feels like a big betrayal when you're the one experiencing it. I mean, to you, in the moment, even if you're a sixth grader hearing like, hey, I'm dating your crush. That feels as emotionally surprising and devastating and infuriating as I killed your son. It's not the same, but it feels the same. And when you're that hurt, when you are sitting in the shock and the surprise and the devastation in that moment, you have tunnel vision. You're not really at a, a good place to hear other perspectives. You're not really open to like getting a different point of view and zooming out. You're just in it, hurting. And also like, doesn't it feel like anything that happens to you is very simple? It's like, this is not complicated, okay? <laughs> I'm right, they're wrong, okay? That's what happened. This is their fault, not mine, okay? Like, they hurt me. They deserve to die and burn in hell forever. End of story. That's it, okay? We were close. They ruined it. It's over. But most relational conflict isn't really as straightforward as we wish it were, right? There's always more nuance to the story than we want to acknowledge. And so what we do is we, we sort of re reduce the thing that's happening to something binary to help ourselves cope with the complex and competing feelings that we're experiencing. The fact that we like, we love them and we're close to them, but also we're hurt by them and we don't know if we can trust them and we don't know what to believe anymore or who we are and our support system is crumbling and we begin to question everything. And when relationships fracture, it is, it's absolutely devastating. And yet it doesn't always happen in some big grandiose moment. A lot of times 
instead of it, it them going out with a bang, it's, it's more, more, it's just a whimper, right? How many people do you have in your life where it's just like, what happened between you guys? It's like, I, you know, I don't, I mean, I know a couple, but I don't really, it just sort of, just sort of died. And I, I think there are actually three real big categories of reasons that relationships fracture. And interestingly, you know, only one of them is betrayal. Here's what's crazy, though. Don't they all feel like betrayal? So what are they? Uh, the first reason that relationships fracture is, is betrayal, right? It's unexpected betrayals. When something catches you off guard. When someone does something that deeply wounds you. And I think betrayal usually comes in two forms. One is like a shift in values, right? A betrayal of your value system where you think that you're on the same page with that person and you feel like you both understand what, what like life's about and what's important and like how to go after those things and what's okay and what's not okay. And, and you're like, yeah, we're, we're on the same page. And then they do something and you realize that you were not on the same page, that they, that they had a different worldview, a different paradigm, that they had greenlit like a whole different scale of morality than you. And you have this, this moment of panic of like, I thought I knew you. I, I thought, I, I don't know what to think. I thought, I, I, I thought you weren't the kind of person who would do that or say that or go there. And it feels like a betrayal. And then there's backstabbing, right? Which is typically what we think of when we think of betrayal. These are the, the moments where, you know, someone throws you under the bus at work so that they can get the promotion that really should have been yours or, or, or when, when, when you find out that somebody's been talking behind your back or, or when you find out that someone has cheated with your wife, like big stuff. But that's only one category of reasoning. The second category is what I would call mismatched expectations. Mismatched expectations. And this is where we realize that we want different things. Like, we both thought, like, we knew what kind of friendship this was. I mean, we never defined it or outlined it, obviously, because uh, it's weird to, like, talk about things. Um, but we, we just thought the other person would know, what, like, what this is and, like, how it was supposed to work. And, and, and like, a lot of times it does kind of work like that. But then, you know, over time, they, they, it seems like they're not getting it, right? It's like, clearly, I want this and I need this because that's just what a good friend does. And then one time... Like there was a, you know, they, they didn't do the obvious thing that any good friend would do, right? At least in your mind. They didn't show up for that moment. They didn't communicate with you in this way. They didn't invite you to that thing. They didn't like, like, like sit with you during that tragic moment. It, it wasn't, it didn't go how it was supposed to go. And you realize like, I, I don't think that we want the same things from, a, I don't think we define friendship in the same way, or at least what this friendship is. And it just feels like this is not gonna work. And then the third category is what I would call diminished commonalities. Because friendships are always, you know, about something. They're based on something, right? A shared interest or experience or a common goal or a similar stage of life or like you live in the same neighborhood or you work at the same place. And the more things that we share, the more things that overlap, the more commonalities we have, the closer we often feel to the people around us um, and the easier it is to stay friends. But you know, if what was tying us together starts to sort of disintegrate or dissolve or maybe it totally disappears altogether, if we don't find new connection points, the friendship fades. 
Now, I would say, like, when you're looking at this, like, when something in, in one of these categories happens, the result is that the relationship shifts and drifts. Because any action or situation that reduces um, what causes people to click, like those five things we talked about in, in, in week two, proximity, similarity, intentionality, vulnerability, and adversity, like anything that reduces what causes people to click reduces closeness. And we can't always avoid these things intersecting with our story. And we don't always like that. Because oftentimes the way that friendships fracture is not something that we feel like we chose. It's tough when our individual lives push us in directions that pull our friendships apart. And what can happen, especially if we weren't wanting or expecting anything about our connection to change, is we emotionally inflate the items in the last two categories and experience them as the first category. It wasn't really intended to be a betrayal. It's not technically a betrayal, but to you, it felt like a betrayal. And I think we sometimes feel shifts in friendships as intentional betrayals instead of what they really are, which is oftentimes circumstantial byproducts. We find ourselves feeling frustrated, like how could they do that to me, but what if the thing that came between the two of you wasn't personal, it was more situational? You know what's hard? It's hard when you realize you're in a place where it's not that you don't want them to move forward into what is best for them. It's that you don't want to be the one who's left behind when they do. And that's confusing. And that's why when they move to take that new job or when they start spending a lot of time in that new romantic relationship or they decide that it's time to get sober and so they're not coming out on Friday nights with you anymore, it's why that the surprise of that stings so bad because you know that what you had, what you shared between the two of you is not gonna be like it used to be anymore. And what do you do with that? We experience this really confusing moment in which we're happy for them, but we're sad for us. And then it's just like, I feel guilty about that. I feel like I can't even admit that. Do I go to like your celebration goodbye party and cry at it and tell you like, I hate this. I feel like I can't do that. There's that verse that says in the book of Romans talking about like what real close community looks like. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And that's great. That's good advice. It's like being in the trenches with people. But the problem with this is, what do you, how do you do this when what they're happy about and what you're weeping about are the same thing? We find ourselves in the aftermath of these situations acknowledging that, you know, of course, relationships shift and change over time. And we wonder, like, is that what's happening here? That we're just moving into a new season? Like, we're moving into a new dynamic? Or is this thing just over? And the closer it was, the more confused we become. Because maybe we find ourselves thinking, like, I thought we were both in this for the long haul. I mean, did I misread what this was? I didn't think we were just friends. I thought we were best friends. And now, now I feel stupid. And I don't, I don't want to say that out loud. I don't even think I could look that person in the eye 
and tell them how much this hurts. I don't even think I can put everything I'm feeling into words. And so a lot of us, we just push it down and we tough it out. We try and move on. I think in our culture, we do that with a lot of things. Like not just the big things. I think for a lot of us, when it comes to the relationships where we're close and things start to come unglued, that we don't just sort of tuck it in and push it down when it comes to big stuff and big things. We do it with all the things. With with the small misunderstandings and the hurtful comments and the little condescensions and the, the hangouts that you weren't invited to, but you definitely got to see on Instagram. That nickname that they always call you that has never not hurt your feelings. The sarcastic way that they jokingly shoot your ideas down that make you feel like an idiot. The plans that they bailed on last minute. The way their eyes gloss over when you know they're not listening to your story. How how it always seems that you have to go where they want to go and never where you want to go. And maybe they're doing it on purpose and maybe, maybe, maybe not. I mean, maybe they don't even know how much it bothers you. Maybe they're oblivious. And maybe they never will know because you never talk about it. It just goes unsaid. You just grit your teeth and you push it down and you move on. And the experience of that relationship is, I mean, nobody moved away or went away, but you can feel the relationship shifting and drifting. And all the conversations that you have been avoiding are creating a bigger chasm between the two of you. And it just grows and grows. And I would guess that you have been there. What do we, what do, we do with this? Jesus he gives this really straightforward advice. You, you may have heard it before. Matthew 18, verse 15, he says this. If a close friend hurts you, go and tell him. Doesn't he make it sound way easier than it is? I, I've never read this and just been like, wait, what now? Right? I mean, I'm definitely like, I don't feel like it, but go and tell him and work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. Basically, you've made a friend back. (laughs) If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest. And try again. I love that phrasing, right? Because it's just like, you know how you get in a fight and you're saying things, but then when you have other people there, they're like, yeah, that's actually not the way it went. "Eh, I think you're painting it a little differently than we see it. I mean, we know both of you guys. Then it goes on to say, um, if if he still won't listen, tell the church. And if he won't listen to the church, you have to start all over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer, again, God's forgiving love. Now, this advice isn't anything that you haven't heard before, right? So if we all know this, why don't we do the thing that we know we should do? Because we know that if we bring that up and we, we have to have a real conversation about it, that things are probably going to get way worse before they get any better. How many of you, this is what has kept you from actually initiating the conversation? Because you're like, "Mm, no, thank you. I don't want to have to go through that. I don't want to have to experience that. There's There's this heartbreaking moment in the David Joab story where you can feel the tension of this truth. It's right after the section we just read before. 
2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 24, it says this, while David was sitting between the inner and outer gates of the town, the watchman climbed to the roof of the gateway by the wall, and as he looked, he saw a lone man running toward them. He shouted the news down to David, and the king replied, if he's alone, he has news. He runs like the guy with the A name. You remember him? One of Joab's men, the watchman said. This is David's reply. He's a good man and comes with good news. Isn't that gut-wrenching? Because you and I know it's not good news. It's devastating news. It's the worst news ever. He's minutes away from learning about a, a, a big betrayal that he may never, ever bounce back from. Imagine the pain that this messenger is about to put on David's shoulders on Joab's behalf. I mean, like, if you knew how heartbreaking it would be to confront a friend who hurt you, why do it? It's a good question, but I think the answer is because of what will happen inside you if you don't. You ever had like, like, like an, some sort of an unresolved issue filling up the space between you and someone else? And nobody names it, but everyone can feel it. It fills the air. It has this weird way of coloring everything about the relationship. And eventually, you can't enjoy anything about that person. Even the good things that are good about them seem bad because of what exists between the two of you. You feel queasy and uneasy anytime you're around them, but you never address the elephant in the room. You never actually have the conversation. I shouldn't say that. You don't have the conversation with them. You've had it with yourself in your car many, many times. You've had it with other people. Other friends, many times, more times than they would like you to. You've had it with your partner as you lay in bed at night. But none of these exchanges make anything better. And the longer you dwell on the hurt inside you, the bigger the betrayal feels to you. There's this piece of advice that um, one of the New Testament writers gives us when it comes to like these rifts in our relationships. And uh, this is what he says. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And I, there's so many things I hate about this verse because I find it very convicting and frustrating. First off, like the, 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 the first thing that he's really trying to wake us up to is like, you can't get rid of any of these things that he's listing that you know are ruining your life. You can't get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and all the harsh words and the slander that you say about them inside your own soul or to other people and, and the evil behavior, like you're, the, how you want them to die, how you want them to, to pay, how you want them to hurt. You can't get rid of all that stuff if you never confront it. And confronting it may require you to have certain conversations that you've been avoiding. And maybe you're like me and you, you, you see words here like uh, kind and tenderhearted and you're tempted to interpret them as pleasant and avoidant. But that's a distortion. That's not kindness. You know what's unkind? Refusing to tell someone close to you how their behavior is making you feel. And at least trying, 
at least making an attempt to work out where to go from here. That's true unkindness. A better translation of these words, kind and tenderhearted, are the words sincere and gentle. You can't be sincere if you are avoiding an issue because you're hiding, you're lying, you're covering up. And and you also, you can't uh, full-on attack someone if you're being gentle. It's this idea that comes up again and again of, of having relationships that function where truth is nestled in grace. And then this is the worst part of the verse, right? The author has the audacity to tell us to forgive the other person. (laughs) That's crazy. I think a great definition for forgiveness is actually just buried in the midst of the verse we just read. I think to forgive is to let go of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, and all types of evil behavior directed at that person. It's deciding that you are not going to obsessively replay and ruminate on the thing that happened and wish for them to pay, to hurt, to suffer. Now, that doesn't mean that like you forget what happened or you don't confront what happened, or you don't hold them accountable for what happened. It doesn't mean that you don't set you know, wise boundaries to keep it from happening again, but it means that, that you stop angrily expecting them to undo something that cannot be undone. And that's what we want, isn't it? I remember having a conversation with someone about something I was so mad about that someone did to me, and he said, what is it that you want And I said, I want it to have never happened. You've been there? I want them to go back and undo something that cannot be undone. And as long as we hold that position, we are holding ourselves hostage. Because what we want is not possible. And we have to make peace with the pain and walk forward. There's this astounding moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross in one of the most painful moments of his life, not just physically suffering, but emotionally and spiritually suffering, the weight of the sins of the world collapsing and crushing his soul. And he's looking out at people who have rallied to crucify him, who have hurled insults at him, who have told lies about him, who have led him to this moment. And he looks out at these people and he says something that baffles me every time I read it. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And the first part is amazing in and of itself, but the second part is just as confusing. What don't they know? Do they not know they're at a crucifixion? Do they not know like what they're cheering for? Do they not see what they're a part of? What is it that they don't know? And the thing they don't know is the full ramifications their words and actions are gonna have on him. They don't know how it's crushing and collapsing him on the inside. <clears throat> they don't know how this is gonna affect him moving forward. They don't see all the ways that this is trudging up all sorts of stuff in his life. No one can really know 
how their actions completely impact you. These people, they knew what they were doing, but not what they were doing would do to him. And sometimes this is the hardest thing to forgive, that someone knew what they were doing, but not what doing it would do to you. And why didn't they know that? Because they never considered it, because they didn't care about it. And isn't that what hurts? Isn't that a big part of what hurts when someone hurts you? Is not just the thing they did, but that they didn't consider you. They didn't think about how it was going to affect you. They didn't prioritize and prefer you. They elevated their wants and their needs and their opinions and their perspectives over yours in ways that wounded you. I think sometimes a direct betrayal seems easier to forgive than someone just sort of casually moving on and leaving you behind, making decisions for themselves that where they didn't intend to hurt you, but it did. And you don't know what to do with it. I think sometimes... Being free looks like forgiving things that weren't wrong but still hurt. And I wonder if that's something that God is pulling you towards today. I think this is some of the most difficult stuff to admit because what we want is we want to say, you were clearly 100% wrong. But oftentimes relationships are so much more complicated than that. And sometimes the things that fracture our friendships are things where it's like, I don't know. Is anybody wrong here? Maybe I'm a little bit, maybe you are a little bit, maybe we're also both a little bit right. It's confusing. I don't know who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. It kind of feels like we both are. Maybe nobody is. I remember sitting across from a friend after we had our first baby, Tegan. And it, it changed all of our relationships. You know, having kids changes everything. And we didn't have the kind of time to spend with the same people that we used to. And I remember sitting across from a good friend of mine who was really hurt by the way our relationship changed. And I remember him tearfully. He was saying, like, I, I, I need to say something. I, I, I don't, I feel wrong about saying it. I just say it. And he's like, I have been so mad about how this changed us. But I want you to know that I forgive you for having a baby and now not having time for me. And here's the crazy thing about that. I didn't do anything wrong, but it still hurt. And those are difficult things to acknowledge and to let go. To embrace the fact that it's not the betrayal we want to paint it as, but it's still wounding. And in order to move forward, we're going to have to let go. You see, forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself. Even if it is a moment in which they don't deserve it, they're not sorry. Maybe they didn't even do anything wrong. Maybe they're not even aware of what they did. But unforgiveness poisons us. 
unforgiveness doesn't punish them as much as it poisons you. And when you hold on to it, it slowly rots you from the inside out. And it doesn't just build a wedge between you and that person. It creates a barrier between you and every person. It begins to become this wall that is built up around your heart and mind that prevents you from connecting with people and living life to the full and having close friends in the way that you are incredibly desperate for. Eventually, you are going to have to let it go. And I think for a lot of you, that, that's what today might be about. We're gonna do something different today than what we normally do. I want to create some space for you to think, for you to open your heart up, for you to allow God and his Holy Spirit to shine a spotlight on your soul and identify those things that you have pushed down, that you have tucked away, that you've tried to tough it out about and you've never had the conversation You've never, you've never allowed yourself to actually feel the feeling, to, to actually move through it. You just sort of like keep pushing it down, but it keeps popping back up. And I think today might be a day for you in which you, you begin to let the poison be purged from your heart so that you can truly be free. And maybe it was a deepened betrayal and maybe it was just a change in life that felt like one, but it hurt all the same. And if you never deal with it, you will never be able to fully experience the depth of friendship you are most desperate for. And that's what God wants for you. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you just stand up across this room? In just a moment, JR and the team are gonna lead us in just one song. And maybe you sing, maybe you don't. Maybe you just sit there and pray. I'm gonna invite some of our prayer partners and some of our staff members just to stand along the front here. And, and maybe as I finish praying and, and they start singing, maybe you will have this sense in your soul of like, man, I, I don't know if I can do the thing that God is, is, is asking me to do. I, I need somebody to, to, to help me. There's something about confessing where you're at and what you're feeling, what you're holding on to to somebody else and allowing them to partner with you and pray that God would give you the courage to do what you need to do to move forward. And um, these folks are great listeners. They love God. They care about you. We love to hear where you're at and pray that God would give you wisdom and courage to move forward. I believe that today is a day of new beginnings. Would you bow your heads across this room? Father, I thank you for the love that you have given us. I thank you for the way in which you have made us relational beings, made to connect and to love and to be with one another. And yet, the closer we get to people, the more we open our hearts up, the, the more potential we have to really be wounded. And some of us have been. Some of us have been hurt in really deep ways. Some of us have been betrayed in ways we don't know how to put into words. Some of us, we have just experienced a disconnection. And it's, it's nobody's fault. It, nobody did anything that's really wrong or sinful, but it still stings. It stings all the same because things are different. And we feel the loss of something that was special. 
Some of us have tucked away so many things in our hearts, whether it's a separation of friendship, whether it's something that they did to us, whether it's just all these little prods of just us not saying what we need over the years. I gotta pray that you would give us the courage today to bring it up, to give it to you, and to take the actions you are calling us to, to begin to let it go, to begin to move forward, to begin to open ourselves up again, to know which boundaries to draw, what people to begin to allow in, and what things to let go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.